listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cast through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 18 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. Welcome to Retail's favorite podcast for product junkies, commerce technologists, and everyone else in retail and retail tech alike. So Casey, this episode is our last Retail Transformer of Season 3. And how appropriate that we end with a discussion around customer experience and marketing. I love it. And this shouldn't be too big of a surprise to our loyal listeners, given our season three themes of automation and AI, immersive in anywhere commerce, and back to the basics of retailing. All of these themes ultimately come back to customer experience. Yeah, 100%. It's one of my favorite topics too. And of course, if we're going to talk about customer experience with a retailer, we've got to go straight to the top and invite someone who holds a chief customer officer role. Okay, so you are going to just keep that guest a secret or are you going to tell everyone who it is? Well, you know how much I'd like to do things dramatically. <laughs> yes, so true. Maybe next season we'll budget in some extra sound effects for you. Yeah, we'll have to you see about that. Nothing. Yeah, you, I'm all about that extra dramatic effect. <laughs> all right, so I can't stand the suspense. So... I'll go ahead and share that our guest is none other than Nadina Gugliometti, Chief Customer Officer of The Vitamin Shop. In her role, Nadia leads development and implementation of customer-focused strategies to enhance customer satisfaction, loyalty, and profitability. She oversees omni-channel marketing initiatives, including brand and performance marketing, customer insights, and of course, one of my favorites, customer relationship management. Additionally, she is responsible for managing digital commerce, another near and dear to my heart of topics. And not only that, but before landing at the vitamin shop, Nadia was a management consultant, executive director at Engine UK, working with Unilever and digital chief digital and strategy officer of Caplo Communications. She also has held various marketing positions at brands like We Communications, L'Oreal, Pfizer, the Estee Lauder companies. So wow, wow, wow. She has quite the fantastic uh, career journey and I can't wait to hear more. Yeah. And after listening to this conversation, I am sure that listeners will 100% agree that Nadina is without a doubt more than meets the eye. And that's, uh, yeah, you worked it in there again, Ricardo. Um, well, you know, you, you know, you can't stop me from doing it. <laughs> Always got to do it. But one thing that can stop us at least temporarily from jumping right into that conversation with Nadine is for us to take a brief pause on customer experience and bring our focus back to those store associates and frontline store teams that just about every customer experience initiative ends up relying on for the ultimate execution. It's once again time for one of our newest segments on the show, Blade to Greatness, where we hear from a retail industry leader who shares their insights and wisdom on how to excel in this dynamic and competitive field. In this segment, we learn about the essential skills and qualities that every retail executive needs to lead their teams and their business to success. Whether we're talking about the corporate office or stores, we'll uncover valuable tips and advice that you can apply to your own retail career growth. 
This episode, we're speaking with Ron Thurston, co-founder of Aussie, best-selling author of Retail Pride, podcast host, speaker, advisor, and board member. Ron leverages his extensive experience leading retail operations for America's most prominent brands to bring attention to the issues facing frontline workers and retail leaders today. After releasing his first book, Retail Pride, and launching the Retail in America tour and podcast, Ron has co-founded Aussie to disrupt how the retail industry hires, engages, connects retail workers with retail brands and technology providers. And today he's here to talk to us about a truly important question that every retail leader needs to answer. What can retailers do today to bridge communication from the floor to corporate? Welcome, Ron. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Casey and Ricardo. It's a pleasure to be back as always. I love being on your show. Um, and I love this topic. When you sent the, the description, you know, you're right. This is, this is a topic that comes up really often from peers of mine, those that have led stores and now lead brands, people who work in the field and sometimes have frustration with corporate and corporate that has frustration with the field. Like I sit in a position today where I actually hear it from both sides. So I, you know, where you. I will, I do, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, where I would start with this question is the same place I start every conversation, which are, I've, and I've spoken about this often on your show is what I call the three pillars of success in retail. And, you know, they've become more around pillars of success in life, but empathy, curiosity, and focus. And so if I saw that question and I'd say, what could we do to bridge the gap today between corporate and stores? I'll start with on the corporate side. The first thing I would do would be think about empathy. What, what do I imagine people in stores are feeling today? Are they, are they under pressure for sales goals? Do they have the right inventory? Are they fearful of increase in kind of disruptive shopping activity? We'll call it or being hurt at work. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really important conversations that would lean into empathy. So the first thing I do is, well, how do I imagine stores are feeling today? And the follow up to that is, well, I'm going to ask. Because the best thing you can do to bridge the gap is to build trust. And trust only is developed by being curious and then by acting on that information. So I think, you know, there's a lot of conversation of corporate spending more time in stores. I don't try to judge that or how much time you should spend because everyone has a lot on their plate. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that impact someone's ability to travel or to have the budget to do so. So what I say is whether it's a phone call, a Zoom call, a store visit, whatever your forum for communication is, the best thing you can do is ask questions and be curious and say, you know what, Ricardo, like, how are you feeling today? Like, wh what, what do you and your team, what are you experiencing? What are the conversations you're having when there's no customers in the store? What do you really need to drive your business? What, what tools and resources do you have today or maybe need more of? So this kind of stream of curiosity, I think builds a great rapport. And th the focus, when I think about the third part of this conversation is what do you do with that information you just received? 
because trust then is built to say, you know what, Ricardo, I'm so glad you shared all this with me today. What I'm going to do is go back to my team at the office and we're going to go through all of this data and we're going to come up with some strategies and we're going to come back to you in the next two week, two weeks and talk to you about what we can accomplish, what maybe this year, next year, and maybe the things that we can't, but keep your promise. And so what the store team does is then say, wow, I'm so glad Ron came today and listened and like heard what we had to say, didn't judge it. That's where you use empathy because it's really quick to say, well, I don't understand why you don't get that or why you can't do this. You just need to do it. And empathy helps you ask more questions and put your, yourself in that place of, well, how is how are they experiencing the world and their business? and their customer and their team, what do they need to do better? How, how curious can I be? And what do I do with that information? For me, that but that's how you build rapport. And, and I would say the same thing about stores. There's, I think often what I discovered when I became a vice president of stores is there's also misinformation at the store level about what people at corporate do. And so there's this idea of, well, you know, whether it's product, whether it's resources, whether it's payroll, whether it's operational efficiencies, maintenance, I mean, the list goes on. Sometimes there's this judgment that happens in stores about corporate. And so you make assumptions that they can do better or should be doing more or should be spending more money or should be buying product differently. And my, you know, kind of advice or thought processes here will use the same pillars and say, well, how do people in, in corporate, what's their experience today? And you know, maybe there's been headcount reduction in the office. Maybe there have been budget cuts. Maybe there have been other things that are restricting their ability to, to give me the things that I may need to drive my business. So how, how do I imagine the corporate teams are feeling? And then think, be curious. Like, well, how can I ask great questions to get what I need? And the focus is how can I then deliver on the result that I'm expected to deliver with full insight into information? And where that really showed up for me is, you know, as, as a vice president of stores and traveled as much as I possibly could, listened, I really did try to act. But sometimes it's actually going back and saying, I hear you, but we can't do that. And here's why. Or, you know, and because I ran a multi-brand fashion business, every store has a list of things that they, brands that they want to sell, sizes that they need, colors that they want, you know, the, the product was the number one conversation always, but there, it's so complicated when you say, you start talking about brands that you could sell in certain locations, um, inventory levels, sell through numbers, margin conversations kind of restrictions on merchandising. So it becomes an education process back um, to the field and say, look, I, I hear you and I, I'm really curious about why that needs to happen. And let me just talk to you a little bit about what buying, planning and merchandising mean and how that impacts your business. So I think it's our responsibility as leaders to be bridging the gap through, through education and through conversation. And it's not a one size fits all. It's very much a, let's try to solve for the best of our abilities by using empathy, curiosity, and focus on both sides. 
Yeah, I, I love the way you describe that. And one of the things I'm immediately comes to my mind as I'm listening to you, Ron, describe the, the process behind this is that really what you're doing, if I think of it as what's the outcome of this, you're actually presenting to your, your store teams, for example, that corporate doesn't just view you as an endpoint, but that you're actually yeah. part of the business. So it's, it's, there's that combination of what you said at the, at the beginning to you're asking what their experience is. You're acknowledging what they've told you, not dismissing it because you don't think it should be that way, right? Which I think is a, a common perception that I think stores have about right. corporate that they'll just dismiss what we say because they don't think it should be that way. You're acknowledging it. But then you're also recognizing that whether you can or can't do something about it, you're still closing the loop and making sure that if there's a reason why you can't, you're explaining what that reason is. You're not just, again, dismissing it out of hand and saying it's not important, which just makes this team feel like they're not being hurt, even if you did acknowledge it. You're also recognizing that we're trying to see what we can do about it, but maybe we can do something, maybe we can't. And if we can, wonderful, here's how we together resolve that challenge or whatever that issue might be. And I think that is probably the, the way I look at it as if you're a member of that store team, you come away feeling that I'm not just this unit of labor that the brand is is right. benefiting from. We're actually part of a whole. We're part of the whole business and the brand together. And that takes great intention on both sides. Mm -hmm. It takes intention from and eliminating some of the assumptions about what people do and why they do it and and not judge that someone else's job is harder or easier than yours. Because everyone's role is important, yeah. whether it's in part-time, you know, new hire in the store or someone that holds an executive position, everyone's role is important. They just have a different, different needs at different times for the business. And so I will look at that and say, actually a new hire whose first day is on the floor today is interacting with the customer that the customer, that the company just spent thousands of dollars marketing to, to get them to walk into the store. And that customer's experience now is determined by this person whose first day on the job is today. And so whether you are the CMO of the company who just signed off on a multi-million dollar budget to drive traffic, or I'm the part-time person on my first day, the ultimate goal is that that customer has an incredible experience. It just so happens that that customer that you just spent money on to get into the store is engaged with a new hire. And so we, we can't say one is more important because the customer could have this incredible experience and like, oh my God, I met Casey. She showed me all these things that she loves and she told me it was her first day and she asked for my patience while we went through the journey, but she was incredible. And I love this brand and I can't wait to come back and see Casey again. I mean, that's a really good outcome or you know, the opposite could happen. I don't need to describe that, but I think that there's, there's, this sense of if you treat everyone with an empathy and kindness, you recognize that everyone's role is important. They just have different purposes. Yeah, I think acknowledging that every single person who works for you at a brand is your consumer, mm -hmm. an advocate in the community. You know, nobody... No matter what company people apply to work at, people typically apply to companies that they like, love, or are inspired by. And that bad experience of working there, the bad experience of communication, the bad experience of like not feeling supportive, that loses you a customer 
their family, their friends. <laughs> it permeates that this bad experience happened with this brand. And I know because I literally work for them. They're terrible. And like, you can't really recover from that. And I almost feel like part of like the hiring process and, and managing those teams, it is PR in a, in a lot of ways. Like this is your, you have to take it super serious because it's worse than, you know, you have all this social media and things like that. And just like, this is a customer at the end of the day. It's true. I would even take that further back, Casey. It actually starts when someone's interested in working there. Yeah. You know, which is part of, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not here to speak about Austin, but the idea here is, you know, that their likelihood of staying with a brand actually starts before they're even hired. When that, mm -hmm. when during the journey of interviews or lack of interviews, lack of follow up yeah. or incredible follow up, all of that creates impressions that, okay, great. I, I get the job, but you just tortured me for a month to get here. Right. Or, right. oh my gosh, like yeah. I, I have this, I met these great people. I can't wait for day one. And I'll mm -hmm. go back to my example. Okay. So you, you created an experience of an interview and an onboarding that was so good that that customer that I just described that walked in, that the company spent money on engages with me and I have an incredible experience. And then the opposite can be very true. So I think that I agree with you, Casey. It's, it's every touch point for every brand is about an experience and whatever that means for the future of a brand, they're really important moments that we can't put into silos. They're all connected. They're all important. And every person in this kind of ecosystem of, of retail play really important roles. Yeah, I think that's a great point about how that, that experience starts from the moment they're being recruited in that hiring process. I, I hadn't thought of it until you just hearing you say it, that if the, that hiring experience is already tortuous, then you've just set the stage. I know, it's a strong one. word, but I, but I yeah. actually, but, but, I, but, I, I mean, hear I, enough I candidates to know that that's understand. actually a yeah. valid word. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, think, I think so. I'm, I'm just thinking back to even... I, I remember in some retail jobs, I had the same thing that, you know, it was not a pleasant experience to, to do that, but you're right. It, it actually sets the stage for what your day one will be like before you even get to day one. And I think in that sense, right, it, it's, it's wise for brands to think of, you know, from the marketing point of view, brands like to th look at influencers, right, to promote products. But at the end of the day, they should really be thinking that, well, y you have an entire team of influencers at your store that work day in, day out. Because like you said earlier, the, however expensive a campaign you may have run to drive customers to go into the store, to walk through the door, well, the very next point of influence they're going to have is likely to be that store team member who they talk to first. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's word of mouth is very powerful tool for marketing. And I feel that like the most, the best way to get that word of mouth marketing is literally through your employees. Because that is, you know, 90% of like friends and family that they know you're happy at X brand, yep. X company, and that influences them more than a review online. <laughs> right. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it's, it's yeah. true. And, and social media just escalates that very quickly. And you know, there are, there's a lot of TikTok and that don't paint retail in a positive light. Mm -hmm. And some of that is, is, is deserved. 
And so I, I think we do have and to do better. It's valuable information and it's valuable to think about, again, with empathy, how is the candidate experiencing, how, what is someone's first day on the job? And, and hmm. when I work at Apple, and I've mentioned this before, you know, they, they still today use a very um, phrase that I think leans into empathy. That is, I don't know, let's find out. And it's common language for them. And it's okay to say, you know what? I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm going to find the best person to mm -hmm. solve this problem for you or to answer your question. And then instead of putting the pressure on you to be an expert at everything, which we do, it's okay to say, I don't know, but I'm going to find someone that does. And we're going to make sure that you leave this building with the best possible experience. And that may not be for me. And that is, that takes pressure off of store teams. Mm -hmm. And so the same, but going back to your original question, how do we bridge the gap? You bridge the gap by not expecting everyone to be an expert at everything. You bridge the gap by saying, we have incredible salespeople, but incredible salespeople are not always good at doing markdowns. Incredible salespeople, Casey knows this from her other work, great salespeople are really good with people, but they may not be the best at tasks. And you have great people who are really good at tasks, who are terrified to speak to a customer. You can have both and that's perfectly, it's welcome. And that's how you have great hiring. And mm -hmm. th that kind of idea of everyone in retail should be good at everything is, is a false narrative, I believe. Yeah. Yes, there are certain yeah. people who I'd never invite back to doing inventory. <laughs> it would probably be me which is you know why I, I was like oh where's the food like who's doing the catering tonight and like i would do everything i could to get oh, no, I'm doing I have a party but i'm just like Pretty seriously you counted it eight times and it's still not the same number <laughs> go see. have a beer and then or go home <laughs> It's the same. But you know, that's why you surround yourself with great people. I had great ops people and out there like, Ron, you don't have to come tonight. It's fine. I'm like, cool. <laughs> well, I think on that super interesting note, we've come to the end of this segment. Ron, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your insights on how to improve those lines of communication. Thank you. Thanks, Ricardo. Thank you, Casey. Always such a pleasure. Always. I have to admit, I am such a Ron Thurston fan. No one manages to level set how store teams and corporate need to interact and acknowledge with each other for the benefit of the business. Yeah, and what Ron does best, honestly, is just advocate for store teams in a way that not only highlights why it's so important to listen and acknowledge what those teams are telling corporate, but you know, he's been on both sides of this, so he truly can speak to the right way versus any number of wrong ways that corporate should handle store feedback. I mean, I absolutely love this segment with Ron. What a great way to wrap up our first season of the Blade to Greatness uh, series. 100%. So with that, how about we move this episode along, get right to our brilliant conversation with Nadia Gugliovati, Chief Customer Officer of The Vitamin Shop. Welcome, Nadia, to The Retail Razor Show. We're honored to have you join us. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. We absolutely love talking about customer experience and how retailers and brands are leveraging technology to enhance that experience and hear how it impacts marketing. It's always amazing to have someone like yourself from a brand of the vitamin shop 
to share your insights and, and learnings with us. Nandy, why don't you fully introduce yourself, your role and mission to the organization, and tell us a little bit about your journey leading up to the role at the Vitamin Shop. Sure. Yeah. So I am chief customer officer at the Vitamin Shop. I oversee the customer experience for the brand. That includes marketing, how we acquire customers, our loyalty program, how we retain customers and delight them, our e-commerce site, uh, how we develop Omni, sort of an Omni experience for our customers, and then also tracking, planning, customer data, customer um, growth, all of that, that fun stuff when it comes to customer and data and uh, measurement. That, that kind of fits under my, my purview. I came to the vitamin shop nearly six years ago, which is amazing. I think it's probably my longest tenure anywhere. I, have, I definitely have a, a form of ADHD. So it's, a, it's amazing to me that uh, they've been able to hold me for so long. And it actually sh shows a, or says a lot about the brand, the culture, the roles I've been able to tackle that, you know, there's always an interesting problem that they've been able to put before me to solve which is very exciting. And my current sort of mission is to kind of focus in on that Omni experience. So how do we remove friction from our customers, how they shop mm -hmm. with us, how they find us, how we uh, provide access to what we do best, which is providing information, uh, education, and innovation in supplements and sports supplements. I started in e-commerce. Uh, some of my first role were in the beauty business at Estee Lauder. I was really lucky to get incredible training from some incredible brands like Lauder, Pfizer, and L'Oreal in commerce, and then moved into the advertising business where I've run social companies. I've worked in PR uh, under the digital marketing lens. And what was exciting about my role at Vitamin Shop is really pulling together a lot of this experience that I'd accumulated mm -hmm. over time and bring it, bring it all under one house and providing kind of the, the best of breed learnings that I'd accumulated to, uh, to within a brand. So I've done kind of brand agency mm -hmm. and then back to brand. And it's, it's been a, a really great journey for me. Yeah, it's a fascinating journey. I'm really interested to hear how you're applying that to areas like the customer experience, both in-store, online. It sounds like you're obviously responsible for the whole shopper journey for Vitamin Shop, both from digital to in-person and everywhere in between. And I thought maybe a good place to start. How do you look at that aspect of it, you know, connecting the digital experiences that your customers have to that in-store experience? Yeah, and we are I am uh, obsessed about customer behaviors. I I'm definitely geek out in data and what the data tells us about the customers. It's not just data, too. It's also anecdotes from customers. We do rigorous omnibus studies, surveys, talk to our customers. I go into stores frequently to really understand how customers want to shop with us. That That's where we start. And with that, and it's evolved tremendously over the past five years with our uh, four years really with uh, COVID, pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID, our customers have gone through a lot of changes and we've just kept up with them. So it's really led by data, anecdotes from customers speaking to customers that helps guide how do we want to stay up with them or keep pace with them, but also perhaps predict where they might want to go next in terms of their shopping experience with us or how they want to access our products. But, you know, the that kind of center of customer and uh, the idea that customer really leads the way is really critical. How do you 
look at customer feedback? Because you said a couple of interesting things there that I love hearing that you you take the time to visit stores and understand what customers are doing. We, we hear so often from retail brands that have an experience in mind and they kind of organize and design around that, but haven't necessarily heard what customers directly feel about those experiences. So how, how do you take in that customer feedback? It's, you know, it's everything from we do a week, I get reporting, I read reporting on a weekly basis from our stores written by the store managers about what they're hearing from customers. So it starts there and you, you kind of have to take some things with a grain of salt because it gets very weedy and you, you have to make sure that you don't get stuck in an idea that perhaps is too niche as opposed to appealing to the broad set of customers that you have. So it's it's a little bit layered with what are the customers saying every week on the ground? Uh, what do we see in the data? Uh, and we rigorously do, again, weekly and then quarterly data crunches around what our customers are doing and how they're behaving. What what are we seeing in, in the industry? I'm part of NRF Executive Council's both digital marketing. That's very helpful to look at what is uh, the the sort of broader industry data telling us as well. We're also part of IAB, which is also very helpful in, in getting a sense of where things are going with customers. And then we do these yearly assessments. All of that really brings it together. And a lot of it is testing. You know, we at the vitamin shop, we do test and fail sometimes. We try mm-hmm. ideas that don't always work or we see trends and we jump on them. And sometimes things don't work. And I, I think we do a really good job of trying, do it, putting something in motion, we try it. And if it doesn't work, we're okay, we move on. And that has provided for us uh, kind of rapid learning, the ability to move with our customers. Uh, we're okay with, learn, you know, doing things and succeeding, but also doing things and trying things out and they, they don't succeed. And that can be anything as small as a new advertising platform to building a product that we try to launch in market uh, to a new tech so- sort of solution. A great example is we redid our checkout page on our website. Uh, mm-hmm. We were so excited and it wasn't working. <laughs> it wasn't mm-hmm. doing wow. what it was supposed to. It was very clear. Uh-huh. And there's so many great technologies out there today that can help you track how consumers are going through your site and where they're stuck. And we immediately made changes and got the results we needed. So we're okay with looking at ourselves and saying, okay, this didn't work as we thought mm-hmm. it did. Let's keep iterating. And that that's uh, helpful. As a as a a specialty company, it's really critical for us to be that nimble, the mm-hmm. nimbleness, because we we uh, can't necessarily compete with some of the big boxes and the tech investments they have, but we can certainly compete with them and how nimble we are, how fast we can mm-hmm. be when we go to market, how quickly we can change to stay in front of the customer. And, and that really has sort of helped us a lot, especially during like pre-post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, as... You're so obviously Vitamin Shop is a brand known for for uh, being in the health and wellness space, and uh, I think you're certainly recognized for having store teams that are, are really well trained and knowledgeable about products that help yeah. customers. How do you stay ahead of that curve? Because there, I think it's fair to say that there's there's been a lot of changing trends over the years in this space, and as you mentioned, particularly pre post COVID, a lot of the consumer views on on this space have have changed. How do you stay ahead of that curve? So for, we do for health, we call them health enthusiasts. So those are employees in stores. We take a lot of time to keep them educated. And the the folks that work in our stores or want to work in our stores typically come from a background where they're passionate about health and wellness. Sometimes they're even influencers themselves on social platforms. They might be trainers. 
we also have some younger employees who are also getting nutritionist degrees or things like that. They're typically hungry for the space that we we are in, which is amazing. So they are curious about the supplements, ingredients, or the trends, and that's very helpful. We provide a lot of educational data. We work closely with our third-party vendors to gather their data. We invite um, a lot of their experts into our stores. So it's really about access of information. Uh, we also require that our folks who work in the store to get ingest a certain amount of information to keep up with new products or changes. And then we also are very rigorous about quality within our own products, which makes our own health enthusiasts believe in what we're doing. So we do a lot of testing on third-party products. We test our own products that we bring to market, private label products rigorously. And that quality control, quality, quality of information. We also are very rigorous about what we say in market. So we will, we work very closely with our legal team to make sure that what we tell our customers is what we can say and is backed up. If we're going to say something, it's probably backed up by research or we're not going to say it. And that provides a, a level of trust from both the folks who work in our stores and what they're saying. They trust that we're giving them good information and that we're educating, but it also provides a level of trust of our, our customers as well. And information is, I think, one of the primary content strategies, right, is, is really understanding the nutrition and supplements. When we think of the competitive landscape of the health and nutrition supplement retailers, what consumer-centric initiatives or innovation has Vitamin Shop implemented recently that you think is a stands out to build stronger connections and just with your customer base? Yeah, so I think there's a, a handful of things. One on our healthy awards side, well, it's not quite I think the direction you were going in, you know, the relationship with our customers, it, there's a value exchange there with customers, right? And the value exchange that we've typically had is is financial. We've evolved that where the value exchange is more behavioral, um, where we reward our customers for behavior, whether they're filling out surveys or giving us information. We do this through the lens of our Healthy Awards program. So you could fill out a survey and get 10 points. You could go to our TikTok page and get some more points. And that's really helpful for us. We get a lot of data information, first party data from our customers. Okay. And they get value back. So that's one. It's uh, That's been incredibly successful in helping to build basket size, retention, and stickiness with our customers in this sort of very simple way of unlocking that new relationship with our customers. And then on the other side, another thing we've been doing, as I mentioned earlier, we have an incredible amount of uh, health enthusiasts in our stores who are influencers in their own right, incredibly passionate and known. So we've created a vitamin shop squad where they are actually almost advertising on our behalf. They're mm -hmm. talking about products. They're um, engaging with their their audience and it's often it's sizable and releasing some of that information um, on our behalf because we find that with uh, creators, um, especially creators who work for us, uh, that's the best uh, way of connecting with customers. It's it's a very trusted way rather than just having a brand speak on this is how great we are and and so on and so forth. So that's another thing that we've done and unlocked, which has been very useful and successful. Yeah, having having a workforce that is passionate about the the company mm -hmm. and space yeah. that's hard to replace. 
Yeah, yeah, I, yeah you know, as I said earlier, yeah. I've been with Event Shop a long time, and then the culture. Yeah. We definitely mm-hmm. believe in our brand. We mm-hmm. love what we're doing for customers, providing a, a sort of a guide so that our customers can achieve their best self in terms of health and wellness. And it's it's something we really stand behind, and it's it's infectious. Everybody, you mm-hmm. know, we feel really strongly about wanting to provide that guidance and access to the best supplements that you know are in the market. And it really sounds like you, you've built a lot of strong customer loyalty from that, and and also even and with employee loyalties. I think on, from both sides of it, you can see. I think the difference just in hearing you describe it on how that helps uh, grow the business and grow the relationship with customers. Uh, One thing I'm curious what your thoughts are, how do you look at balancing acquiring new customers and versus the kind of initiatives you're doing to nurture those existing ones and and create longer, greater lifetime customer value? How how do you look at the the, imbalancing that and and how do you invest in one versus the other or, or both at the same time? Yeah, it's that's a really good question because there is always a tension between how much you spend on your current customers mm-hmm. and marketing. And we're we're a very, you know, efficiency is everything in marketing. As much as I don't, it's certainly about being creative, but it's also about being very efficient. <laughs> efficiency is everything. And we do look at, again, going back to data, we look at our mm-hmm. customer lifetime value to understand how many new customers do we need to have in a year to sustain our business. So we, we do go through that rigor and mm-hmm. analytical rigor to really get down to the weeds. I also, as a marketer, don't expect that we're going to keep every customer. You're going to have mm-hmm. those uh, casual shoppers in your business. And actually, that's okay. That's a good thing. You need casual shoppers. You can't just have people that you retain, you're going to have people who come in and out, they're casual, and those casual shoppers are really critical. So we look at it in terms of you're going to have casual shoppers, you're going to have a core set of loyal shoppers that you're going to mm-hmm. keep for a certain length of time. And then we need a certain level of new. And we really partner uh, a lot with our third-party brands to bring in the new because new customers really come to us for access on something they're not getting from their big boxes. It's either the innovation we provide, the information, as I mentioned before, I don't know what to take. It's so confusing, mm-hmm. it's such a confusing mm-hmm. space, new ingredients, or even value through our private brands. So we work very closely with our private brands to market that, that value or innovation that we have internally with our brands. And then we work very closely with our third-party brands because they have a lot of innovation, rigor, influencers, often the owners of these third-party brands are influencers Mm -hmm. and themselves or have rich stories, background stories that are so Mm -hmm. exciting and unique and interesting. So so partnering with them to help fuel uh, that that visibility of the vitamin shop and what we offer and then drive that new customer. And then we work on the retention piece. But as with most brands, we decide on the level of, of investment really based on what, what do I need to sustain the business this year? And we just went through this process where I looked at what do I need to sustain mm-hmm. growth? Right. And, right. you know, how much do I need to invest in my current? And we, we look at it every single year and dependent on the answer to that, and the state of business or the state of customers are, it, is customer acquisition more difficult right now, which it is, by the way, it's definitely mm-hmm. gotten more challenging post-COVID mm-hmm. and, you know, with, with squeezed wallets. So we look at, okay, well, I might have to invest more because customer acqu- cost for acquisition has gone up and that means my investment mm-hmm. level has to get a little bit right. higher right. And, and, you know, 
And then and then we work through that mix of where do you go to get those customers, what's been working and all of that. So mm-hmm. it's a good question. It's every year it changes. I, I will say yeah. it's never the same year to year of, of what we're investing where. Mm-hmm. How, how does your private brand strategy impact that? I mean, do you see, do you end up, you know, you just, as you just mentioned, right, it change, may change from year to year. Do you see a lot of fluctuation in where you need to focus more on the private brands versus your third party brands? Or is it always kind of in a balance? It's always in the balance. Our third party brands are so important to us. Mm-hmm. That relationship, that new customer, what they offer, mm-hmm. they're really critical to our success. So I would say it's a balance with our private brands. You know, our customers will come to us for very specific things within our private brand. And there are certain, there are some of our private brands that are great new customer drivers. We have one brand called Body Tech. There's a series under body tech from a sports supplement perspective. It's a great brand. It drives new customer acquisition. We do invest in that brand from a new customer acquisition perspective. So we look at which are the brands that are going to deliver new customer acquisition for us and which are the brands that are really more, they sustain the current customers we have. They're more value items in, in our portfolio. And as our, as a customer comes into our store, they may discover those brands. So we kind of think of it that way, but. It's not either or, it's both mm-hmm. because of how critical our, our third-party brands are to us. And, and we have incredible mm-hmm. partners in our third-party brands. We're really lucky to, they really give us so much access to them, their brands. A lot of what we're doing this year and, and next year is really thinking or, or working more locally. And we often get some of the ambassadors, founders to co- go visit stores. We've had lines outside of our stores to go meet <laughs> Some like somebody like Chris Bumstead. Um, mm-hmm. So these sorts of initiatives can only be fueled with that partnership. Mm-hmm. I, I always like to ask every marketer we talk to, you know, what your thoughts are on retail media networks. And yeah. is that something that as a brand, are you developing your, your own network? Are you working with other retail media networks? And Because I, I, I could envision yeah. how based on your, your, especially the private brand strategy you have, you know, the need to be sort of looking at it from both sides. Yeah, we we don't work with other retail media networks today, though mm-hmm. I think that's where it's going. I think right now the retail media network world is very fragmented and there's a lot of if you if you know, if you look at the updates and the news, the the challenge with a retailer having a retail media network is you need to talk to a different department, you need to gather new funds. This isn't your co-op mm-hmm. dollars. It's it's a pretty rigorous investment to mm-hmm. put it, you know, stand it up. So we haven't officially stood up kind of an end-to-end retail media network, though we do provide advertising opportunities for brands within mm-hmm. our ecosystem. I, I think where it's going is that there's going to be a lot more retailers partnering together to offer access to a retail media mm-hmm. network, especially smaller retailers. Mm-hmm. That's where it's going to go mm-hmm. because yeah. so we we actually, we thought about it a lot last year. We're incredibly interested kind of a building out the end-to-end we decided to pause a little bit because we were noticing the incredible amount of changes that were happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm uh, sort of of the philosophy where we're a mid-sized brand retailer, let the big guys lead the way and kind of pave the technology. And then we'll jump on when things are a little bit more solidified. And oh, I think we're going to give it a little bit more time before we build out the end to end. Because I, th- I think there's a lot of change that's still happening uh, mm-hmm. with uh, where the those retail media networks is going. But it's very exciting. We do have some things that we do do, like we do our checkout page. We do uh, allow ads from brands uh, that customers are exposed to. So we do some mm-hmm. things and they're incredibly successful. We love it. 
it's a really great new revenue stream for us. But, you know, we're we're tiptoeing in to that arena because there is a, a technical investment there and, and um, an effort there and sort of a an operational effort there. So we, we want to just make sure that we're setting it up in the right way and using the latest and greatest technologies before we jump in. But it's very exciting, as I said. Yeah. Speaking of latest and greatest technologies, in transitioning to a headless commerce platform, what factors influence Vitamin Shop's decision for that? And how has the shift empowered the company to provide a more seamless or personalized shopping experience or not? <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, we're, it's a great question. I think headless, especially for a business our size, is critical because to be able to have more, I don't know how to, the best analogy, to be able to have a tech stack that is more like Lego blocks mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. one block is really useful. We can unsnap a a technology that's not as useful for us or needs to evolve or change or something new is available in the market. We can snap that in versus having to change everything is incredibly powerful. So we're still finishing up some of our applications that we're, we've sort of uh, have most of the Lego blocks in place where there's just some things we need to move on to them before we're fully kind of up and running, especially from a web perspective. So, and what that does unlock for us, as you said, is that we can take advantage of improved personalization. We do a lot of personalization today in our CRM and other things, but it's really the end-to-end personalization that we're really excited about and meeting from from marketing to web or it's a unique personal one-on-one experience. So we're almost there and it's enabled through being being headless you know technology changes so much and your tech stack you constantly have to look at it so headless just allows you to be a little bit more flexible so that you can take advantage of what else is in market and it's hard because once you're in sometimes the bigger bigger legacy tech players you're you're kind of armed and it's difficult to negotiate you're armed into kind of fees because it's hard to change uh, as a retailer especially one like us. So headless gives us much more flexibility, a little bit more negotiating power. Uh, we can look more broadly across and take advantage of technology and where it's going. I'm, I'm super excited about where AI will, more AI being embedded into some of the tech stack solutions we'll be using in the future as it's come, kind of maturing. And that will, you that know, That was my next question is what are you most yeah. excited about? I'm excited yeah. about AI. I, I haven't quite seen it deliver everything to a retailer mm-hmm. today. Yeah. And I think with AI, you have to be both proactive in where's my vendor going to take it? And, you know, there's a couple mm-hmm. things we are certainly doing, but also defensive on what does it mean for my business? So where our stance is like both defensive, proactive, we're excited and also cautious because it does have implications for a retailer, has implications for uh, how a customer is going to use your website, has implications for your own content. There's a lot of implications with AI, but where the efficiency it's going to help unlock and then improve customer experience potential is really exciting. But I haven't quite seen it fully come to fruition yet. You know, I think mm. it's I th- everybody, it was sort of like the shiny toy. Everyone was like, wow, I think it'll happen right. very quickly for yeah. sure. And we're going to start seeing more and more things embedded into, into some of the offerings that we get from our retailers and that's already happening. So it's not, not, not like it's not, but it's at a slower pace maybe than everyone imagined. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I agree with them. I'm, it's probably one of the things I'm most excited about and that we are on, on the show too, is what all the different areas that AI can touch and how it's going to do that. Because I think you're right. There's been a lot of experimentation. I think there've been some in really interesting use cases somewhere maybe still needs to be further developed. So it's going to be really curious, I think, to see where that leads in the coming year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, I love technology. It's why, you know, I started in digital, as I said, mm -hmm. I started in e-commerce. I love how it changes how consumers experience a brand or how you can communicate different. It's so much fun. It, it keeps mm -hmm. me incredibly engaged, especially for somebody who maybe doesn't have the best attention span sometimes like <laughs> me. It's it's so I'm super excited. But there are it, it is a cautious story, I think, for retailers because there are it, it could offset some of the things that we're offering to customers. So it's keeping up with mm -hmm. that, making sure we're protected, thinking through what do we need to copyright, for example, and what what should we experiment internally at a smaller scale so that we can kind of understand behavior. All of those things are going to be really important in the short term. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Adina, this has been an incredibly rich and fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, always. I, I mean, I know I learned a lot from the discussion and I can't wait to see more of what you guys and your team are doing over at the Vitamin Shop. Thanks again so much. Thank you. Well, I think that's a wrap, Ricardo. It is. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player or tune in on YouTube so you don't miss a minute. If you haven't tried Good Pods yet, give it a spin and follow our show. We're on a streak of regularly hitting the number one, number two, and three positions on the top indie management and marketing podcasts. Thank you to our Good Pods listeners. If you want to know more about what we talked about today, take a look at our show notes or handy links for more deets. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. And if you'd like to connect with us and share your feedback, follow us and the show on Twitter at KCC Golden, Ricardo underscore Belmar, and at Retail Razor, or find us on LinkedIn. And if you want all the highlights from each episode, subscribe to our Substack newsletter for full episode transcripts and some bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.